Hi, everyone. This is Brad Thomas with The Ground Up, and I'm back again with another C-suite interview. And of course, today we don't have the CEO here, but we have something really equally as good is John Stewart here. John is the Senior Vice President of Investor Relations with Digital Realty. And John knows everything there is to know. I won't say better than the CEO because I don't want to offend uh, you know, our current, the current CEO, uh, who I think is doing a fantastic job, I might add. But John, thank you for joining us today. Brad, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. It's yeah, we've definitely uh, a, lot, a lot of history with digital realty. So pleased to have the opportunity to be here with you today. Great. Well, well, John, I know physically you are in San Francisco, and uh, there was some uh, recent news that the company was relocating a part of the business to Austin, Texas. So can you tell us a little bit about you know kind of how that decision came about? Sure. It's been uh, a, a while in the works, I would say, Brad. Um, but at, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, a couple of things. Um, certainly, obviously, Texas is a very central location. So in terms of servicing customers uh, around North America, it, you know, it really uh, ease of access uh, to, to both coasts. And we, we have a, a fairly distributed leadership team. Um, our CFO, Andy Power and I are actually, uh, will we'll remain based here in the Bay Area. Our CEO has uh, relocated to, to Austin, to Texas. And um, then too, you know, as we've grown as a, a global organization, um, some of the, the centers of excellence supporting the business. So functions like uh, accounting and, and HR, um, you know, from a from a cost perspective, it tends to it makes more sense to to be located in a in a lower cost jurisdiction like like Texas, and so you know between a combination of supporting the the growth of our asset base, we've got uh, thirty data centers in in Texas, so we have a sizable investment in the state and a, and a pretty sizable employee base, and so we're going to continue to grow there. I see. Well. You know, of course, digital is a global enterprise. And so I've been covering the company now for oh, almost a decade, probably. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about for the, for the viewers uh, who, who aren't as familiar with digital's, uh, I guess, far reaching portfolio, can you talk a little bit about where your, where your portfolio is today? Sure, I mean, we are uh, truly global, as you say, Brad. So we are in almost 50 uh, metropolitan areas in 24 countries on six continents around the world. So we cover you know, most of the major NFL cities here in, in North America. Uh, we're also in South America with, we acquired a, a platform called Ascenti a couple of years ago with a leading provider in Brazil and uh, branched out from Brazil into Chile and, and Mexico. And in, in Europe, we acquired a business called Interaction, which was a, a publicly traded data center provider, very, very well regarded, uh, very high quality portfolio. They were really the number two provider in Europe. And so, and we were kind of a, a distant number three. So obviously combined the number two and number three player in Europe and that significantly enhanced our platform. So uh, really strong presence on the continent in, in Europe, including Frankfurt is a very sizable presence in Frankfurt, uh, Paris, London, Amsterdam, and a, a really key asset in Marseille, which really serves as the gateway for interconnection between Europe and Africa. And then in Asia Pacific, we are uh, in, we have a presence in Japan, um, in, in Tokyo and Osaka, 
and in, in Singapore as our regional headquarters in the region. Uh, we're also in Hong Kong, uh, in, in Sydney and Melbourne, down, down in Australia, and entering, entering South Korea. So that's, uh, that's kind of the global footprint in a nutshell. I mean, that's, that's a lot of real estate. And have yeah. you, are there any more, what are the pockets? I mean, just, as you were talking, I was trying to go, where, where haven't you gone? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. What, what are some pockets uh, that, are, that are out there? Sure. There's, there's a couple. I would say we feel really good about our presence in North America and in Europe, especially, uh, again, especially following that recent transaction we did uh, with the interaction business. So I'd say Asia Pacific is probably where we have the most room for growth. Um, I would tell you we're not in mainland China today. Um, and I don't know that that's on the near term horizon. That's, a, that's obviously a trickier market to navigate from a geopolitical, geopolitical and investment perspective, both including uh, the ownership of real estate as well as repatriating capital. That's, uh, that's a, a trickier proposition. So China's not on the, on the front burner. Um, India is a major, major growth market that we are studying closely. We, we announced that we have, uh, that we entered into a memorandum of, of understanding to try and execute a, a joint venture in India. That particular deal did not come to fruition, uh, but we, we have been carefully studying the Indian market. I think that's, that's a, uh, a country where over time it will definitely make sense to have a presence. And, you know, there's maybe a, a, a few others Besides, and in addition, we've got, we just have a lot more room for growth in the existing markets where we do have a presence in Asia Pacific. Like I said, we're, uh, you know, we're kind of uh, number one or number two in US and Europe, um, but we, we've got a lot more room for growth in Asia Pacific. You know, I've got a book coming out in May and, and uh, I've got the, the first book we had in China and now I'm trying to expand. So uh, you need to get into China and I need to, all those other countries where you have a presence, I need to uh, get my book over there as well. So uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. translated into many languages. Yeah. Yeah. Teach them what a read is. Um, so <laughs> I guess the, um, the other thing I want to touch on just in terms of kind of switching from the, I guess your scale advantage, because arguably and I've written about this extensively, digital realty has a very tremendous scale advantage over the, over the peers. Um, but moving over to cost of capital. And I'm curious, John, you know, we cover a lot of the REITs like WP Carey, who has a global footprint yep. and now Realty Income, which is now, yep. you know, Europe um, uh, and, and growing there. But I'm, I'm interested to see how those companies have been able to use European capital at a lower yep. cost of capital. So can you talk yep. a little bit about, because I've seen a lot of interesting deals and a lot of really creativity in terms of your, your capital formation and the debt that you've raised uh, internationally. So can you touch on that a little bit, please? Sure. Well, you know, I'd say it, uh, it kind of goes back to our, our now CEO, Bill Stein, who uh, you, you mentioned at the outset. He, he was previously CFO of the organization and did a great job um, establishing investment grade ratings for digital realty back in 2000. So, you know, that, that uh, obviously is, what, 12 years ago. Um, and as a result, we're certainly a well-known seasoned issuer with a long track record of, of issuing corporate bonds. And then, you know, Andy Power, who took over from Bill as CFO after he, uh, after he left, has certainly has done a fantastic job managing the balance sheet very proactively, including uh, we were, the, were certainly the first data center REIT and one of the first REITs to issue a green bond. Uh, so we issued a, a U.S. dollar green bond in 2015, 
And to your point, Brad, especially after we acquired that, that business in Europe, the interaction business, that $9 billion transaction. And our philosophy is to match uh, to not enter derivative uh, contracts to hedge our currency exposure, but to match the denomination of the assets with the liabilities. And so because we have Euro denominated assets at that $9 billion transaction, we have been issuing Euro denominated debt to match the assets and liabilities. And as you point out, the, uh, the benchmark rates in Europe are quite a bit lower, especially as the, uh, the treasury's running up here. Uh, and so we've been able to raise capital very cost effectively in, in January, we issued a, uh, a billion euro uh, green bond, and that was a, a 10 and a half year bond, so long, long, long duration bond. And the, the total coupon was 0.625%, so 10 and a half year money at, at five eighths. So, so what's, uh, pretty attractive. What's the, what's the back of the napkin weighted average cost of capital on that? I'm just, I'm just kind of, you know, Back of the napkin, that that's got to put you in a you know in a in a weighted average cost of capital like because you're what sixty percent uh, what sixty forty right roughly yeah. uh, you got some preferreds I know you got some preferreds yeah more like more like seventy thirty seventy thirty uh, okay yeah I you know I think that's probably a little bit um, well the weighted average cost of debt across the entire portfolio is a little bit below three percent okay uh, so. Um, you know, but I, I think just obviously we were very, very pleased with that, that particular transaction, but I think it's a little bit, um, uh, misleading, I guess, to, to peg the entire weighted average right, right. Sure. That, that one, that one point in time, but yeah, no, certainly we've done a, a, a good job again of managing the balance sheet extending. And, and by the way, like I said, it was 10 and a half year money. That's not short term money. So right. we are extending the duration while we're also ratcheting down the, the cost of capital. So, and again, hats off to, to Bill and Andy. I think they've done an excellent job managing the balance sheet. Yeah, I agree. And, and can you talk a little bit about, I'm actually writing an article on the subject of how REITs are gonna be impacted by inflation. And so obviously, you know, I mentioned net lease REITs again, and that's kind of this, this myth that, you know, the net lease REITs don't have any growth, which, you know, they do have rental growth, not as, not as great as you see. So can you talk about it in terms of, digital's model in terms of how you are uh, uh, prepared for uh, inflation. And again, you, you just mentioned you've match funded, uh, you know, your longer term debt. You've already kind of answered part of that question, but, but what about growth, rental growth and how sure. you can drive growth internally? Sure. Well, I'd say the, the first line of defense uh, against inflation, if you will, there's it, you know, it'll affect you in a, in a couple of different ways. First of all, we you know we do have built-in contractual rental rate increases in our in our leases, so that obviously helps you every year. the The rent steps up, so that will obviously help hedge against inflation. Now, those uh, those built-in rent increases they they range from two to four percent depending on the the type of the customer and contract. So you know you should be pretty well. And and historically, I think that has outpaced inflation for the past couple of decades, for sure. Uh, if we have rampant inflation here with, uh, you know, if, if you're spending quite a bit more uh, than, than you're taking in and inflation really begins to run away, then you could potentially be exposed to the extent that, uh, you know, it exceeds two to 4%. And then you, and then you would have, we would have an opportunity to reset those 
leases to market once once they expire and the, the weighted average lease expiration or weighted average lease maturity across our portfolio is about five years. So once, you know, as those leases expired, then you'd have an opportunity to reset to market. The other exposure that we have, especially as a, a developer, is, you know, you could very well see an increase in uh, the input costs to your development projects, the price of lumber, the price of steel. And by the way, already, I think you're seeing an impact of higher fuel costs, which translates to, you know, transportation is a, is a big part of the, um, the, the total cost of, of your, your inputs. So, um, you know, there you would need to, we would need to see higher rents, higher market rents to, to justify the higher, uh, higher development costs. So that I think that we haven't seen that yet. I think you're just kind of potentially on the cusp and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but certainly from our perspective to be able to, to maintain your returns in a, a rising inflation environment, then that, you know, knock on wood, if, if everything is, uh, is healthy, we should be able to pass that along in the form of higher rents. Right. And, you know, I want to touch on as well, you know, di digital's had a very predictable history of, of earnings growth, uh, really best in class in terms of your, your, your profile. And of course, along with that comes dividend growth, a very, you know, a repeatable model of, of dividend growth going forward. So now this year, and of course, digital has sold, sold off. And in fact, your peers have all, the whole data center sold off uh, moderately here today, but specifically digital has um, uh, 2021, we're, we're based on analyst estimates. We're mm -hmm. seeing a more modest growth profile of around 4% based on our, yeah. our analyst uh, scorecard here. Uh, yeah. Which typically you've been in the higher, you know, you know, eight, nine, ten, you know, eight, nine, or eight, nine or ten or so per per year. So can you reflect on that more modest growth this year, um, going and kind of what you're seeing out there? Sure, um, I'd say there are there's a couple of aspects to that, Brad. I mean, one is certainly you've got the law of large numbers, right? We're a much bigger organization today than than we used to be, over fifty billion dollars of uh, enterprise value, and so. As the you know, it gets harder to move the needle. The bigger the the bigger the base becomes. So I think that is a factor. In addition, we have also been selling some assets, and in fact, we announced earlier this week that we sold a portfolio in Europe. So uh, you're and obviously, when you do sell assets in, in the REIT model, as you know, uh, on day one, you kind of you lose the cash flow from those in place rents on those assets that you just sold. So that's dilutive in the near term. And we have been recycling capital for the past couple of years. That's, that's definitely been a headwind or contributed to slower growth. Um, and then, you know, finally, I'd say we, we do have a history of kind of under promising and over delivering. And we certainly hope to continue to, to repeat that. So knock on wood, hopefully uh, do a little better than, than 4% by the time it's all said and done. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'd, I would also say that I don't think we are happy with 4% uh, with growth. We certainly aspire to uh, reaccelerate our growth. Again, I do, I do think quite frankly, Brad, that some of the, the faster growth that you saw earlier in our evolution is probably, um, you know, I don't think we're likely to return to those heady days that we saw earlier on when our asset, when the base was a lot smaller and we frankly had a lot less competition. I think the, the times have changed. 
but we, we definitely, we, we are planning and investing to, to reaccelerate our growth and, and continue to deliver uh, a safe, well-covered and growing dividend for shareholders. Great, and I gotta ask you this. I know, you know, digital has maintained a fortress balance sheet. Um, we appreciate that. I think that's been a big part of the success of the company in terms of its, um, you know, predictability of the earnings stream and the dividend stream that we've, we've seen over the last decade or so. Uh, but I've got to ask you, how important is it to have that plus on that uh, credit rating? Right now, you're at S&P, you've got a triple B. Uh, how important is it for the, for, the, for the plus? And then I want to ask you one last question on that is, and do you think it's ever possible for digital to get that A, a rating? Uh, great question. Uh, that is a great but tough question, Brad. How important is it? Well, I would say... Look, quite frankly, and again, I think you can judge this uh, as evidenced by that, that specific bond transaction that we just talked about in January, right? That uh, all in coupon of five eights. That would kind of, that would tell you that the market, I think, is pricing our bonds tighter than where the agencies seem to have us pegged. And, and quite frankly, Brad, uh, our ratings have not moved since 2009, when Bill Stein uh, first took us to the agencies and, and obtained those investment grade ratings. And in those ensuing 12 years, we've grown dramatically. And you know, I mean, just one, one key point at, at that time, uh, our largest customer was uh, re represented a, a higher, so you had, we had greater concentration with a single customer and that customer was a junk credit. Today, right. our, our largest customer is 7% of revenue and it's a AAA credit. So, and, and we've grown dramatically uh, and, and data centers as an asset class are much more mainstream today than they were back then. So we, we have grown dramatically, significantly enhanced many, many credit metrics. And I think the agencies have been a little bit slow to, uh, to recognize that quite frankly. On early, I'm not sure that, uh, again, I think that the bond market is probably ahead of the agencies in terms of where they are pricing our debt. So we would look, we would love, we are definitely biased towards higher ratings, not lower. We are not like, we are not going to lever up the balance sheet to try and squeeze out a little bit more earnings growth. Right. I mean, we, we do, uh, we, we certainly view that there, you have a bond with the bondholders as well. Right. And so we definitely, we're, yeah, we're not going to put the balance sheet at risk. Um, and we, we have a bias towards higher ratings, but I don't know. Yeah, it's again, the, the agencies have been a little bit uh, slow on the draw. And I don't think that we're going to, we, we're going to manage the business for what we think is best, where we see the best overall weighted average cost of capital, you know, not, not just for a rating. So I hope, yeah. hope that helps. No, that is helpful. And of course, you know, we've been covering, uh, you know, we watched Prologis go from the A rating, you know, then we, yeah. I think 18 months later, we saw a realty income jump from the, uh, from the triple B up to the A minus. So we're kind of watching this to see, and I, you know, I've always felt in the back of my mind, digital kind of watching digital, you know, move forward, getting closer to that, getting close to that yep. A rating. Uh, that yep. is, we, we've got our own proprietary scoring model, John, where we, we actually automate, we have it, we call our IQ system, which stands for intelligent quality IQ. And uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, we, we do give, you know, a lot of credit for those A ratings, you know, just, yep. you know, and just like, you know, you, you should, you know, and it's yep. a pricing power for sure. Yep. Um, 
So I guess last question I, I want to talk about is the, is the, is the dividend, but, but I want to, I didn't want to, one, one, one thing that kind of ties into that indirectly is, you know, I, I get this all the time and I'm sure you do too, with these hyperscalers and the competition you have with Amazon and Google are going to start owning their real estate. And I know, I know this is like a broken record for you. I hear it all yeah. the time, but sure. can, you, can you touch on that? Uh, and, you know, as far as, you know, what are you seeing out there? And then of course, the, you know, dividend safety, how, how safe is this dividend in your opinion today, based on your, your payout ratio and your target payout ratios? Sure. Um, so on the, the first point, the, the hyperscalers and the, the you know, pr propensity to do it yourself, I would say, I mean, they, they do and they always have, quite frankly. And in fact, what you actually see from in the third party market is really just kind of the, the tip of the iceberg. They have huge campuses for their own account. But some of where we can really add value and, and what we capture from them uh, is it, it really, number one, it, it tends to be location. So where you'll see the hyperscalers have their own huge campuses, it tends to be in really tertiary or secondary locations um, where they can, they can negotiate single-handedly with the municipality and say, hey, listen, we're going to bring a bunch of jobs to your your." Uh, very isolated rural community here, and you know we'll pay you some tax dollars, uh, and and you know in, in exchange we'll we'll put uh, a, a huge campus here. And and if you look at where those hyperscalers tend to have their own campuses, it does it, it tends to be rural applications for uh, rural locations for applications, IT applications that are higher, you know, don't have the low latency requirements. They're not, they're not as close to the, uh, the population basis. And, and in contrast, where the, the third party providers like us, where we can add values, we own some really strategic land holdings in those major metropolitan areas. Um, and we're also able to, look, this is our core competency, Brad. It's what we do day in, day out. We, we build these things and we're able to have them at, at the right time and the right locations for these hyperscale customers. And so they do, you know, they, they have a, a combination. They, they build some for their own account and they, they take some quite a bit from us. Um, and we're also fortunate that we're not really, it's not just, there's, you know, it's not a one trick pony. There are many, many, many customers who uh, are demanding third party data center capacity in, in the major metropolitan areas where we have a, a presence. And so I, I think the, the do it yourself component is going to remain a, a very viable option for those uh, leading hyperscale customers, but they're also going to take a, uh, a certain amount from us in, in select markets around the world. Yeah. So hopefully that makes sense. In terms of the, the safety of the dividend, I would say that, you know, uh, our, our first measure is to pay out hundred percent of taxable income, which we do obviously as a, as a REIT, you avoid uh, double taxation. If you, if you pay out hundred percent of your taxable income, and then our, our kind of secondary measure is we, we target a, uh, an AFFO payout ratio of below 80%. And we're at about 77% today, uh, again, based on those consensus numbers that, that you mentioned earlier. Um, so it, a payout ratio below 80% means that you've got kind of 20% cushion, right? Before your, uh, your cash flow doesn't cover. So I, from my perspective, I think it is, it's, it's certainly healthy, well covered, and and we feel very good about our uh, ability to continue to grow those cash flows and, and grow the dividends that we pay to shareholders each and every year, as as we have done every year since we came public back in two thousand four. 
Great. And I guess the last question I want to uh, touch on again, I know there's, we've had that sell off, but uh, you know, historically um, your, your, your price to funds from operation has been, you know, again, I would go back even over the last five, you know, four years, it's been in the 18 range. You're trading about 21 times now, but you, you know, you hit up, you hit about a 25 multiple back uh, in the middle of COVID in July of last year. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to get an idea again in terms of valuation. Um, you know, we've just gone through really what I call the quality metrics for digital realty, which are the scale advantage, the cost of capital advantage, being able to deliver strong earnings and dividends. But in terms of valuation, it's just hard to get arms around. You know, your sector. You got a three and a half percent yield right now, which is uh, you know actually you know fairly attractive to us. So we have a buy officially on digital today. Uh, but what do you feel about that 21 multiple, uh, you know, compared to kind of where, you, where you've been in, uh, in the past? Sure. Well, let's say, you know, first and foremost, Brad, valuations are, uh, are like family. It's all relative, right? So right. It, it depends on, you know, you really, you, you know, it, yeah, you, you look at how one house in a neighborhood is valued compared to the other houses in the neighborhood. Um, now, certainly where REITs are concerned, Part, one of those relatives, if you will, is the 10-year treasury, right? Because REITs are kind of uh, somewhat of a, a yield alternative. And of course, the, the treasury really, the risk-free rate affects the, the discount rate that you use to value assets kind of across the board. So as that, uh, the treasury ticks up, then you know, generally REITs kind of move inversely to the treasury. So that's, that's a, uh, a factor, I think, that needs to be considered. However, look, I think the fact pattern you just laid out is is quite telling, right? You you said that we reached our pat our peak of 25 times at at the height of the COVID crisis, and so why is that, or what does that tell you? From my perspective, that tells you that this sector performed remarkably well through another pandemic, a, a financial crisis, just like we did through the the global financial crisis, and so, in my opinion, part of the reason the sector has been re-rated has been because we have really demonstrated the durability of this business model, the resiliency. And by the way, uh, you know, not to take anything away from our brethren and other property types, but one of, you know, if you look at the long-term effects of COVID, right? You, we, you know, maybe we may be using less office space as uh, you know, we, we work from home a little bit more like you and I are doing on a Friday, right? Maybe we do a little more of that going forward. And you know maybe you don't uh, maybe you do a little bit more shopping online rather than in person. And now when you do that, when we're using Zoom, for instance, you know where do you think Zoom runs? Right, it runs right through a data center. They, they, the video conferencing platforms are are significant customers. And so my point being, the the pandemic has really kind of accelerated digital transformation. It's been positive for our demand profile for the health of our business. So I, I believe that we will actually, we are a structural beneficiary of some of the changes that we've seen over the last 12 months. So in, in my opinion, I would argue as, you know, first of all, the sector has really proven, demonstrated its mettle, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think we've, again, really shown the, the durability and resiliency. Uh, and and I, I think that we, we have benefited from some of those long-term structural shifts, and so I, you know, I, 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 I look uh, talking my book obviously, but uh, I, you know, I, I think that we are attractively valued today. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, we agree. And, uh, you know, I think we agreed a lot of that conversation, but John, I really appreciate your time and uh, thanks for, for jumping in here on this call. I'm sure my, my viewers would also uh, agree. Uh, I've been very helpful here. So uh, wish you the best and we'll circle back uh, real, I guess, real soon. We've got NAREIT coming up among other things. So uh, I'm sure we'll be back in touch soon. Good to see you as always, Brad. Thanks a lot for having me on. Best of luck uh, with the launch of your book in May. And I uh, hope you have a, have a great weekend. Take care. Thank you. Thanks again. Bye-bye. See ya.